This is not a part two or part three. We're starting a whole new, I don't know if it's a series or just a message. I'll get started like I do and we see how far we get to go. Let's go to Matthew 22. And um, in line with what we were talking about earlier, um, that we are supposed to speak what he said is, not we're supposed to speak what he said will be, but we're supposed to speak what Jesus said, what God said, and what the word said. We're supposed to speak that it is. And we have the tendency to speak it as not being true until it becomes true. And that's not the biblical approach to things. Um, but what I've been learning about God's mercy and love lately, you know, after our confessions and our studies is God still will meet you where you are. And he will bless you where you are. But the limitation of that will be based on what can you believe? And I used to say, what do you choose to believe? I'm going to throw this in as a side. Um, Kwame turned me on to this series called The Chosen. Are any of you guys aware of that series? <clears throat> wow. Well, I saw season one on Netflix, and he started talking about season two. I said, there's no season two. But then I did a search and found out that there's actually an app called The Chosen, and they're up to season, they're in the season four already. And, um, no, they are already, they finished four. They're, if they haven't released it yet, they will, but four is done. Um, but that's not what, I watched all of season two and I went to the app, I mean, all of season one and went to the app to see season two and I saw commentary and stop. I'm done, right? I, after each episode, a rabbi, a, a Catholic priest, and a evangelical scholar sit around the table with the creator and they talk about the accuracies, the inaccuracies, the things they like, the things, you know, they did seem not to dislike anything. They were the, they were the consultants on the whole recording. So they guided him through the biblical accuracies and uh, historic accuracies. And long story short is I started watching because after each each like season one, Episode one, there's the commentary. There's a, there's a roundtable talk. Two, three, for each and every one of them, there's a sit around the table, kind of fireside chat. Well, I started learning so much about the history. I started learning so much about what the customs were. I started hearing the rabbi talk, the Catholic talk, the, the, the um, evangelical talk, and I'm learning the differences, the similarities, I'm being so educated by what I'm hearing about my faith from all three sides that I haven't even been able to go back to the show. And I'm making this point for a reason. There is something that jumped out at me real strong in this conversation. And this is what led me to what I'm sharing today. The Catholic priests, the rabbi, and the evangelical, it sounds like a like some kind of joke getting set up, right? Walk into a bar and, okay, anyway, here's the thing. I listened to them talking and 
sharing the differences of how we approach faith. And I'm coming to the realization that we is something I try to stay away from. And when Kwame turned me on to it, he said, this is the way you teach. You the way the way this show is done is the way you teach. They humanize these people. They give backstory. Um, but when they begin to talk in the commentary, they talked about the way we view faith and doubt. And I want to lay this out as a foundation for this message because they talk about faith and doubt amongst the three. And in the evangelical, which we would be considered, doubt is just a no-no. Absolutely, you believe God, you know, how? what are you worrying about? You're supposed to have faith. From the Catholic, doubt is embraced as a virtue because not doubting God or turning your back on God, but that doubt making you question and ask more and learn more about your faith, therefore giving your stand stronger legs. The Hebrew was right there in the middle. It's like faith is the anchor of everything. But the right to question or be concerned, well, did I hear right? Did I make a mistake? You know, John the Baptist, are you the one or should we look for another? After he was the one said, Behold, the son of God, who you know, takes away the sins, whose lace shoes I'm unmercifully to unlace. And now he's sitting in jail going, wait a minute. Are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus not responding with, how dare you doubt? You saw what happened at the water. You was right there. But Jesus' response was, go back and tell him not only what you heard, but what you seen, thereby confirming his faith and reassuring his faith that he wasn't in a moment and made a mistake, that you can continue to stand based on new evidence. Oh, come on, somebody walk with me a little bit. You can continue to stand on the newer evidence that God has no problem giving you if your doubt or your question is in pursuit of his direction. Oh, I like that. It sounds almost Jesse Jackson-like. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? The, 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 the questioning of where you stand means, right, let God be true and every man a liar. I have the, the right and the obligation to question my stand if I feel that my flesh may be involved. Who am I speaking to right now? I mean, I have a right to say, God, I know what I heard you say, but I just want to double back and make sure that what I believe I've heard is right. And if I did hear right, that I didn't then over time mix some me in there and some of this auntie's opinion and my family's opinion and somebody I heard on TV's opinion and with what you said. And each one of these men broke down the limits that they go to. Jesus dancing with, 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 with his friends. You, you know, evangelical, we dance. The Catholic Absolutely not. Jesus walks around with a halo and he floats into the room and he doesn't even walk. He floats in, he floats out. And you, you, you got to understand these differences here. Um, the, the, the Jew is like, absolutely, he's Jewish. We dance. This is what we do. We party. We celebrate. This is what we do. So you start to see the differences in what we think we perceive about God, yet God loving each group. And each group having a powerful, solid purpose in kingdom. Jews are not excluded. Jesus made that clear. He said, if they are rejected, 
you're grafted into them. And so how can you be in if you say they're rejected? You can't throw them out. So you got these guidelines that God, who is not in the box that we like to put him in, that he set in place for those of us who follow him and believe him. We grow, we mature, we learn. We How many of you have a different value on and understanding of your relationship with God and faith now than you did 10 years ago? How many of you, when you first got saved, maybe became very strict and very religious and didn't think that you had any levity at all, and now that you're growing, you're seeing that God's grace meets you, as the psalmist said, even if I make my bed in hell, you are there with me. I'll meet you even though you sinned, even though you fell, even though you got out of my way. I came for you knowing that you are a flawed individual, knowing that you were in sin. If you could save yourself, then I would, I've died in vain. I died because I knew your inability to be what you need to be. Well, that's, yeah, that's new, that's new. But you're teaching grace, though. That, that's not, not in the Old Testament. Oh, no, not really. So then what about David and his murder and adultery and lying and all the little stuff he did? What about him? What about him still picking Saul, no, Saul, knowing Saul would be what Saul was and do what Saul did? No, God, God's take on humanity is not our take on it. And those who are pious and self-righteous, it's interesting. I talk to people now and they talk to me and they think that they're talking to me like they're trying to help me or save me. And I can look at each one of them and go, your poop is right on your clothes. I can see it. It's right there. It's right. It's, it's, and, and you're talking to me like, you know, well, I'm, I'm concerned about your well-being. I'm like, no, you're not. You're trying to exhort yourself over me through conversation by trying to pretend you're more spiritual. But the thing, the thing that's funny about it is God keeps saying, just keep walking. Watch what's going to happen in the end when I sort it all out and the truth hits the, the, hits the light and everybody can see what I've been saying all along. God is awesome. So here we are. We're in the place now that we're walking with God, hopefully maturing daily, monthly, weekly something in our relationship. Listen close. Developing more of a friendship, having more of an intimacy without losing the reverence and the respect of who God is but still growing and maturing. There's a saying amongst older folk, the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. In our walk with Christ, that should be the case. The more mature I get, the more mature I realize I can be. No, I didn't say need to be. I said, but can be. Because we're serving a limitless God and we cannot put God in our limits. So whenever you start to look at somebody else's shortcoming and try to class them based, based on who you think you are in him, you immediately put yourself in a place of judgment and you begin to forfeit the righteousness that you've claimed already as your own. Let you sit with that one. <laughs> so, well, I'll explain a little bit. 
Because any righteousness you claim by your own actions or how good you think you are, or thorough you think you are, you immediately dismiss the fact that you are not righteous and there's nothing pure about you and that what makes you pure is Jesus Christ and you in Christ. And then you walk it through and you walk it out. It's your process. Say it's my process. No one else is but mine and I won't let anyone take it from me. Very important, okay? Very important. So watch this. You're in Matthew 22 with me? If you didn't hear me say it, I'll say it again. Matthew 22. So here we go. Jesus spoke to him again in a parable saying, Jesus spoke again in a parable. Jesus spoke again in a parable. So let's, let's get this, let's keep this strong, right? Jesus speaking in parables was not him being deep and mysterious and spiritual. Jesus speaking in parables was the way rabbis taught. That's the way the message was conveyed. That's one of the things I learned from watching these, these roundtables. This is how they taught the message. They sat around, they sat down, and they taught. The way we stand up and walk around and preach, that's not what they did. They sat down, the people gathered around, they talked, and there was interaction, sometimes even question. This is the way it went. So I love the way we flow because even over the years through the services, I'll stop in the middle of service and say, who understood that? What did that mean? What, did it, what was he saying when he said that? What do you think that that is? And give you the opportunity to, to, to talk back doing church service. And I've had many people say to me, I've never seen anything like that. You getting the people involved like that. And now I know because I act like my, my, my daddy. I act like my papa. I act like my, my elder brother in, in the spirit. I do what he does. And he interaction is what makes it real to you, giving you the chance to answer the question and think about it a little bit as we talk. So here we go. He's speaking to them again in the way that they speak. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent for his servants to call those who had previously been invited to the wedding feast, but refused to come. And this is the part of the story that I think has been missed a lot, right? This wedding feast, he went out and invited this person, that person, and this person, and that person. And this one didn't come. I had to get married. I got a, you know, I bought a cow. I got a land. And what we need to understand is, so no, you fronted at the last minute. You said you were coming or gave the impression you were coming, or at least you were well aware of who was throwing the feast. But at the last minute, you decided something else was more important. Boy, I've seen that with church folk all the time, especially when we had church service live. These people would, oh, it's a, it's a cookout. Oh, it's a football game. Oh, it's a, they, they want to show themselves to be so spiritual all the time when the few times they were there. But there was always something else that took more weight than the feast that you're invited to, that, belong, that you belong to. He invited them. Watch this. The king invited them. Watch this. The king is a decision maker. Even the phonies know you don't stand the king up because if you ever need the king, he makes final decision. So these people were invited in advance, but they had other things on their mind that were more important to them. 
And I'm going to liken all of this to obedience as we go on. And you'll see where God calls you to do something, but your feelings and your emotions make you decide to go against what God said because you felt so strong about it. And, and, then I, and this is the message that God continues to reiterate to me. I don't care how strong you feel emotionally about a situation. I don't care the fact that you're angry. I don't care that you feel at the moment enraged. I don't care if you feel any kind of bitterness, whatever you feel. I don't care what you feel. I'm concerned about what you do in terms of following the instruction that, that I ask you to follow. Can I get an amen in the chat or something? <clears throat> this is big because God doesn't mind me missing him, but he prefers obedience over sacrifice. When I call you to obey, I need you to obey. Well, I feel real strong about this. That's good. Pray to me that I give you the strength not to respond out of your feelings, but out of my direction. Amen? Okay. <clears throat> then he sent some out, the, the other servants, saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calf, and butchered everything and is ready for re is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they pay no attention. They disregarded this invitation, treating it with contempt. Again, I'm talking about obedience. I'm talking about obedience. They treated it with contempt. <clears throat> Don't say this to this person. Don't treat this person like this. Don't respond like that. Kwame's favorite saying, where's the love? Where's the love? Right. Like, don't respond like that. And they treat that instruction with contempt. Because right now I want what I want. And I don't think that God's handling of it is fair, right, or correct. You need to stay with me on this now. Because all of us have been guilty of this at some point of our lives. Where it's like, okay, I know what the Holy Spirit is saying. I know what God is saying. But right now, I have a personal bone, and this is the way I'm choosing to deal with it. You with me? <clears throat> they pay no attention. They disregard the invitations and treated it with contempt and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, and the rest, I mean, to his business. The rest of the invited guests seized his servants and mistreated them, insulting and humiliated them and killed them. The king was enraged when he heard this. He sent his soldiers and destroyed the murderers and burned the cities. Now, I, I, I like the Matthew one because the Matthew one gets down and gritty with it. He don't just say invite them and they didn't come and I'm go to the field and go to this one and invite the people on the outside. It's like, okay, there's a response to you treating my instruction with contempt. And that instruction is then, then I will then take action against the thing that you chose over my instruction. And we're going to let that marinate a little bit. See, we cannot say all these wonderful good things about God in the scripture that we like 
and try to escape judgment or correction from God. We can't do that. We cannot escape the correction or the judgment. Judgment doesn't necessarily mean going to hell, but the thing that you exhort, it says he'll bring it down. So if you choose this over his instruction, at that point, you put that thing over him and he is then responsible to deal with that thing. What do you mean by that? Okay, so your job, your money, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your whatever, whatever that thing is you put over God, God is now obligated because you put that thing over him to bring that thing down. So you can find yourself in a situation with a job that you finally got this job, you want it, God told you no, you went for it anyway, you did what you needed to do to get it, you get the job, and all of a sudden some boss in there just mistreats you, treats you bad, overworks you, shows you no respect, getting up and going to work every day starts to become a very hell in itself. That right there is the reaction. Well, how does God judge me? So you're saying God's making my boss be mean to me? No, but his hand of grace in that situation is not there because he wasn't a part of it to begin with. Please stay with me because this is very important. His hand is not on what he didn't ordain. So once you step into it, he says, well, I have to you know, let you now experience what you conjured on yourself by choosing to disobey my instruction. Are we on the same page? Okay. No, he's not going around saying, well, I'm going to make the boss treat you mean. I'm going to make them treat you bad. No, that's that's God's enemies. There's no evil in him. He doesn't have evil. He, you read James chapter one. He's not the source of evil. Neither he doesn't cause temptation. Neither does he cause any man to tempt. Any man falls of his own lust. So listen. <clears throat> he called them. They disregarded it. They treated it with contempt. And attacked the very people he sent. So what did he do? He sent out his soldiers. Destroy the very things that they denied me for. Come on. We'll keep going. I don't want it to stay there, but I do want to make that as a point. He took the time to prepare this for you. Okay, I'm going to go ahead. Thank you, Lord. No, I, I mean, I could go so far with this, but let me just go back. Verse 7, the king was enraged when he heard of this, and he sent his soldiers and, and destroyed those, who, those murderers and burned the cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go into the main highways that lead out into the city and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. Those servants went out into the streets and they gathered together all the people that they could find, both bad and good, so that the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Now this, this denotes, connotes something very serious about the king and what the king is about. I built this for you, certain group of people. I offered it to you, a banquet. You didn't come take it. So I sent out to anybody who would come. Now, 
I may get in some trouble for this, what I'm about to say, because somebody may argue that I'm not biblically correct. And if you don't think I am, you don't have to accept it. But here's what I took from that. You prepared a feast, made a table for your people. We can make that an Old Testament thing and we say it's salvation and, and, and I 100% agree with that. <clears throat> but could it also be the church who is called, the body of Christ, who is called to be borrowers and not the lenders, called to prosper, called to be healed and hold and distributed healing and wholeness to the world, are not... So now you got the other celebrities and stars and all these people who are now reaping that success and living in that realm and living that life that could have been yours. Because he said, call them all good and bad, whoever will come in. The door is open to anybody who will come to this banquet. So when I look at the church saying, well, these people were successful because they sold their souls. Or maybe they just heeded the calling when you didn't. And they believed that they were called to success when you didn't. And they believed that it was their destiny to, to be at this, whatever this top is, and you didn't. And then you decided to judge everybody, your so-called Christian selves, and say that something's evil about them because they're succeeding only because you're not. And so it becomes this jealousy thing. Now you hate everybody at the party because you didn't go to the party and he had to invite somebody else in your place. Again, this is just the way I see it. You don't have to accept that. But when I look around me at the fruit, that's what it looks like to me very, very, very much that I've asked daddy so many times. How, how come all of these people have these things? Oh, well, you got to join the Illuminati. You got to sell your soul. Okay, but wait a minute. You're still trying to create something, but it doesn't explain why you, the believer, don't have it. You, you want to justify why they do have it, but why aren't you explaining why you don't? Why aren't you at the party? How come your party is, well, when I die and go to heaven and I get before the Lord? Okay, but he called you to have life and more abundantly here right now. Why don't we have it? Well, there's this attitude we have that we've decided that we are more spiritual and more pious if we don't know what God is doing and we don't have any real direction. It's got to be like a spiritual lotto that God decides to just hit us with. And, you know, you, know, you never know what the Lord's going to do. And we come up with all these justifications Instead of saying, maybe something's missing from my walk. Maybe there's a closeness with God. Maybe there's things he's invited me to that I've responded to indifferently. Maybe he's called me to greater things, but me being concerned about how I'm perceived may take his weight. Um, survivor's guilt. You ever heard of that before? Who doesn't know what that is? 
Survivor's guilt is a situation where you're either in the military or you're at an event or something happens and people get killed and you don't. And then you live your life with this weight on you and this guilt on you, almost shame that you made it. You didn't die. Um, in the body of Christ, and I've had to deal with it a lot in myself, especially dealing with people and family and all that, me winning is a bad thing. It can't be God. Must be Satan. I don't understand why Christians look for Satan in everything good I, or anything good. I don't get it. Doesn't make sense to me, but they feel okay doing it. And then they try to justify not having what you have as them being more holy. This is the, the, the parable we're looking here at. These are the people who were invited and they didn't come or they didn't make the change or they didn't surrender the way they needed to. And God now has moved on those. The, the, that's why the Josephs and the Davids and the Elijah and the Elishas are so individual and so separate because that's a lonely group. All of you guys know you call to greatness. Most of you speak to me regularly about it. But what you don't understand is that call, are you listening? Separates you from the masses. That call separates you from the regular. That call separates you. There's no way you can look at somebody, use myself. I clearly am in a different place. And it's no to say, well, that's by the power of Beelzebub. Jesus said, woe unto you say that. That's blasphemy. You can blaspheme the Holy Spirit with that. It's no redemption for you. So when you're invited to these places that the king has called you to, I want you to pay attention. The original guests were select. Hmm. What do I mean by that? What I mean is the original guests were select, meaning that there were people who were excluded. If he's saying I selected these people to come, that means there were other people who were not selected. And because the people that were selected didn't treat the invitation with respect and honor, then their invitation went to those who would freely come without provocation or disrespect or anything else. You and I are either an afterthought or the original thought. I don't know about you, but I'm going in with the original thought. I was invited and I'm dogging it. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. I'm not going to be of the crew that got brought in later because the other ones didn't come. God bless them too. But I'm a willing participant. I'm going because I was invited. I'm going because I was called. I'm going because I was anointed. I'm going because God put his hand on me and said, you, 
Your last days will be greater than your first. Come on, you'll be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Bless going in, bless coming out. Are you going in? And I said, before the doors close, yes, I am. And I'm bringing all of this with me. And he said, no, you're not. I invited you. You don't have the responsibility to bring guests. Only I can. Who am I speaking to right now? I know you want to bring your mom and them. That's not how this works. You have to go in. And if you being in makes them want to come in, then that's between them and the king who set up the banquet. But it's not your place to decide that you want to bring people or you're not going to go unless they come. And the people of God said, okay now. So he told them again, verse 9, go into the highways, the main highways, and lead out those in the city and invite them to the wedding feast, as many as you find. Those servants went out into the streets and gathered together all the people they could find, both good and bad, so that the wedding hall was filled with guests and seated at the banquet table. What a beautiful place, because that place was supposed to be for the chosen, and they are now winding up in those places. I don't know about you, but I'm going to say, God, thank you that I got invited, whether it was first or second, I'm in the seat, doggone it, and I'm going to take it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let me tell you something funny. I, I, I want to finish reading, but I'm going to say this. I, I, I look at God. So I had been flying first class for a little while, back and forth, and, you know, that was an instruction I got, and I did it, and I always found the best prices. I try not to pay over 400 bucks if I could. And um, so when the end of the year came and the finances got a little tight, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm back to coach. And, um, you know, that dreaded that because if you've been sitting in the first class seats, it's a, it's a, at least you want to be, at least you want to be in a, a premium economy. Like, so you got some seat room. You put me in regular economy, I'm back to the thing being on my knees. And if the person leans back a little bit, I got to try to twist my legs sideways to keep my legs from getting mashed. You know, having to go back to that, it was a big hit. I said, God, well, you know, if it's temporary, it's no problem. I'm not too proud to go back there. And all of a sudden, I book flight, and I get an email saying, uh, you are now in premium silver. I don't know what this is. I just fly the plane. So I said, okay. They told me to click. They accepted. I accepted it. And then I get a notification. Uh we are upgrading you to first class. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Hold up, what? <laughs> okay, wait a minute. So I had to look more into it, and I looked more into it last night. And every time I book, now I book the cheapest seat I can. Once it's booked, then I go back in and take the upgrade because it's due me because of the status on me. I was like, oh, I like this. And on the day of the flight, if there's a seat empty in first class, I get pushed to it. Now, I took that to say that, see, you know what seat I belong in. And even though my money may say I got to sit in that seat, the situation and circumstances that I opted into say, but you get moved up automatically. Now, 
you get moved up automatically. You accepted Christ. I don't care what seat you sit yourself in. That's not the seat you have to stay in. And that's not the seat you belong in. If God said that you belong in the front, he'll bring you to the front. I didn't ask to be bumped. They bumped me up there. Now, the last flight, first class was full. So they just bumped me up to the, the seats right behind it. They have more leg room and all of that. So I said, God, I'm never sitting in, sitting in the tight seats again. I don't care what the situation is. This is what I'm called to, right? Also, the day, the day before the flight, 24 hours before the flight, they will allow me to bump up the first class for like $150 if I want to, if there's still seats. This, I'm, listen, I'm saying this to say, God is showing me, look, son, I'm showing you that your place that I've called you to is your place. You have to take it. You have to accept the invitation. You have to receive it. And then you have to go. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go. Okay. No. Stop. No. You have to receive it. You change seats because they called you. I want you to know that this is where I'm calling you all the time. This is your seat. You are first class people. I'm just trying. I hope you're catching this analogy. You're not coach people. I'm not talking about the plane right now. I'm talking about in the realm of the spirit. You need to stop treating yourself like you're coach Christians and you need to be sitting in the back in the, in the lower economy where you can't even bring a carry on. That's not that's not who you are. You are first class children of God and you belong in the seat. See, think I, I don't know if you're catching the story. I went and sat in the back of the banquet and they called me to the front. I didn't go try to put myself in the front. I put myself in the back and they called me up to the front. This is, oh my, Jesus, I pray that they're getting this. This is what God wants for you. He wants to put you in the front, but you're so used to that back seat that you're afraid to even go up there. You're afraid to check the box that I had to check so that I would then be qualified to be moved to the front seat. Now I expect the front seat. I'm looking for it. You are called by God. There is no back of the bus for you. There's a front in the things that he's called you to. He's called you to bring you into the leadership and to the head of everything you do. You're a trainer, then you should be the best trainer, pay trainer, hairdresser, fine, therapist, Whatever, I don't care if you're a cashier, then you should be the head cashier of the whole store and then the next re and then the region. This is who you are. This, who, who bears witness with me on this? This is who you're called to be. You're called to be in the front. The banquet's laid out. Come on in. Well, I don't know if I could come. You know, you may not treat it, you know, with indifference and, and, and hostility, but you may treat it still with a sense of unworthiness that still keeps you from going to the banquet. I curse every spirit of insecurity, low self-esteem, that, uh, that lying spirit that makes you settle for stuff that's beneath who you know you are. And I pray right now that you, in this year of opportunity, 
that you release yourself and be unleashed from any chain that has tethered you to mediocrity. I don't care if it's good mediocrity and you're successful. It's still not who you are and you know it. Then it's time for that curse to be broken. In Jesus' name, I release you to the greatness that God has called you to right here, right now. Your last days will be better than your first from this moment forward. Amen. Amen. I needed that. Watch this. Verse 11. But when the king came to see the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed appropriately in wedding clothes. And he said, friend, how did you come in without wearing the proper wedding clothes? They were provided for you. And the men were speechless and without excuse. And the king said to the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into darkness outside where there'll be weeping, pain and over sorrow and gnashing of teeth, distressed in anger. For many are called and invited and summoned, but few are chosen. So now you have somebody who came, but they still came dressed improperly. Let me bring this home. So he came, he heeded the call, but he still came wearing the, the clothes of a bum or the clothes of a loser or the clothes of a failure or the clothes of his mishaps or the clothes of the, the, how many things he got wrong in the past or the clothes of unworthiness or the clothes of unholiness or whatever it is. He still came in an undeserving spirit. He still came, but he still didn't come accepting that you've been invited to the king's house. And so therefore you're welcome in the king's house. Oh, somebody need to listen to what I'm saying right now. He walked in with his head hanging and his clothes not right. And, and he said to him, why aren't you dressed right? Weren't those clothes provided for you? This is where I want to bring it home. Why aren't you dressed right? When I called you in, I knew how you were coming because I know who you were. So I provided you the garments to wear coming in the door. Why didn't you put them on? Uh, I don't want to take none that I ain't mine. And, you know, I didn't feel worthy to put that on. That's not a justification. He didn't even give him a chance to answer. Why didn't you put on the stuff that I told you to put on? Why didn't you put on the garment of praise? Why didn't you put on the helmet of salvation? Why didn't you put on the blessed plate of righteousness? Why didn't you get the, get the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation? Why I gave it to you. Why didn't you put it on? Or the enemy just keep coming at me. I gave you the garments to wear. Why aren't you wearing them? I put my holiness on you. you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've given you that. I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Why aren't you wearing it? My challenge to you and to myself Put on the garment of praise. Put on your holy garbs, your blessed prayer to righteousness. Let nobody try to tell you not righteous. Don't let people try to speak over you and tell you who you are, who you're not in Christ. They don't have a right to do that. I said to somebody the other day when I heard them saying that about somebody, I said, you know, 
you got a lot of bad accusations about this person. Well, yeah. You sound just like your daddy. What do you mean? Satan's the accuser of the brethren. You standing there accusing him and placing yourself in the righteous place, so you sound just like your father. That, that, that was not my father. Well, then stop acting like him. Stop accusing your brother. I don't know if he received it or not, and that ain't my problem. But I heard as much as I can hear of him bashing out this other man of God that he didn't think was where he should be. And I was like, that ain't none of your business. Why aren't you praying for him? Why are you coming at him so host hostile? You sound just like your daddy. Who is the accuser of the brethren? Don't let people accuse you. Don't let people make you feel that you're not who God said you are. You were called. I'm at a place now and I'm, as, if, as we've been doing the word daily and regularly, that when I hear people talking about people, it bugs me now. It's, start, it's, you know, it's starting to stick to me. Like I might hear it a little bit and then all of a sudden it's kind of like, okay, 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 okay. Because I'm becoming more like my daddy sitting in his presence and I don't want to hear this negative, lifeless stuff. I be long in first class. I don't want to sit back there where people is arguing and fighting and coughing on you and bumping into you and falling asleep and slobbing on you. I'm supposed to be over here. This is what I'm called to. I've accepted my invitation. I'm asking you, what about you? May the word that you heard bring God's blessing to you in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Amen.